Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today my guest is Adam Griffin, the co-author of Family Discipleship, Leading Your Home Through Time, Moments, and Milestones. Adam, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Josh. Excited to be here. I guess to begin... To begin, we really have to know what it means, what that what that term family discipleship means. So let, let's start with that. How would you define that term? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, discipleship is a term that gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles, and it can mean different people, to, uh, different things to different people. To some people, discipleship means uh, evangelism, God saying, go and make disciples, Christ in the Great Commission, and and some people it means education, like growing and, and maturing people who are already believers. And I believe it means uh, really some of both uh, or all of both. And so when we talk about family discipleship, talking about a parent's responsibility to lead their own home spiritually, to see their kids as part of the Great Commission, to say that our role is to teach uh, the children that are uh, born or brought you know, into our homes uh, to know and obey Christ and to teach him all, teach them all that Christ has commanded them. So uh, family discipleship is really, uh, in the book, we define it as the important and mostly ordinary spiritual leadership of your home. Mm-hmm. My experience uh, as a youth pastor has been that a lot of parents really, when they, when they hear that term discipleship, and it's applied toward, you know, like, like this is what I want you to do with your kids here. They, 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 they don't feel qualified to teach or disciple their children. So how, how, how do we begin to change that in their lives to kind of get them to where they feel like this is something that they can do? Well, that's one of the motivations of writing the book is to demystify the idea of an expert theologian is required in order to disciple your kids. And help people see that the call on every parent's life is to disciple their kids. I think we make it a, um, uh, we don't, it is a grand responsibility. It is big. It can be intimidating. But we make it something that seems impossible when we say that we have to be an expert in anything in order to train in anything. And really what we're saying is that even what the Lord is teaching you right now, even what you're reading in the Bible right now, even whatever you're confused about or have doubts about or what is difficult for you is something the Lord is equipping you to train your kids to understand. It's not about having an expert knowledge or a uh, professional pedagogical approach to teaching your kids like a professor would. It's about recognizing that the Lord has given you the kids he's given you, and he has given you the role he's given you as mom or dad, and it is a very influential role, and we should walk into it with with great respect and, and great deference to the Holy Spirit, knowing that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the work that we really want to see done. But at the same time, uh, the book hopefully takes a little bit of that um, that spirit of, I can't do this, or I'm not qualified to do this, or I need an expert to do this, takes takes that out of it and lets people see that the church is supposed to be a part of this. And it's great to do this as a team, but that every parent is capable of doing this because every parent who's walking with the Lord has a union with the King of the universe, with Christ. And Christ has called us to do this and therefore can equip us to do this. And it's not as complicated or as scary as we might make it in our own minds. Yeah. I think it's, it's not an all or nothing thing because um, we, we live in a very, like, like you've mentioned, we, we live in a very professionalized mindset of education. You know, our, we, yeah. our, our kids go to school, they get to a certain grade, they have a different teacher for every class in school. 
whatever sports programs they are involved in. There are sometimes multiple coaches that even specialize within the sport on a certain, you know, a certain thing. Uh, so the expectation for religious education and instruction becomes the same. Uh, how, like, how do we overcome that mindset? Like, why, if you had to try to convince someone why family discipleship, why religious instruction is different, how would you do that? Well, I, I think we'd start with what is the Bible calling us to? The Bible, and who is he calling? Uh, the Lord does not call experts only. And he doesn't ever have a call that says, like, um, uh, some of you are uh, excused from having to, to study or know me, and others of you will have to know me. It's, every one of us has the call to be a, uh, a follower of Christ. And every follower of Christ has the same call to make disciples. And making disciples is not something that's relegated only to some kind of super Christian who's capable of uh, expert conversations that the rest of us are not. Now, there are different things that different parents are gifted in, but all of us who walk in the Spirit have the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, to varying degrees, we are patient and joyful, and we are kind, and we are faithful, and and we are called to model that for our kids. And if we want to have kids who follow the Lord, then we should be following the Lord. And it, it would be really difficult to try to fake it for your kid and try to fake your spirituality or fake a version of patience. That's called hypocrisy. And so really one of the first things we start about in the book is if you want to lead your own family the way the Lord has called you to without outsourcing it the way we might do everything else, that we want every adult to be someone who is genuinely following Christ themselves. So it starts with, if, if you're married, you and your spouse walking alongside each other in your own spiritual walk, if you're a single parent, inviting your community into it, but having a genuine walk with the Lord, understanding that we're not saying, hey, be perfect for your kids, or that your kid's salvation is dependent on you, but rather your kids need to see what it's like to be an imperfect person who's repentant, who makes mistakes, and who follows the Lord, because your kids are going to grow up to be imperfect people who make mistakes and need repentance and want to follow the Lord. And so we want that genuine walk with the Lord, who's, who's willing to admit humbly where we make mistakes and repent of those things, and yet is dedicated, as the Bible would say, um, at least twice I can think of in Deuteronomy where it's talking about teaching your kids. It calls parents to be diligent. In other words, it's, it's hard work that we're going to be patient in and we're not going to give up at, but it is, it's diligent work. It's, it's hard work to say, I'm going to uh, diligently care for my own soul. It's Deuteronomy chapter four, and I'm going to be diligently teaching these to my kids with Deuteronomy chapter six. And so it is worth it because it is the greatest of our responsibilities. Our kids eternal uh, home, our kids' eternal salvation. And so we are going to be diligent if we really follow the Lord, which is the call on every Christian is to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. It's a, to me, it's a matter of, of you, modeling is like, that's the, that has to be the foundation because it, it is, is very hard or impossible to lead where you haven't been. And, yeah. you know, and then that's not to say that that your kids can't surpass you in whatever it is that they uh, undertake in their life, because then we would have no improvement in any you know, anywhere in the human race. So but the foundation has to be like, this is what has been modeled for me. Um, so this is what I know. And, you know, my experience has been is that 
people either um, almost subconsciously when they grow up lapse into those same models that their parents have given and not necessarily just in religious instruction but in anything you know um, figures of speech are certain you know, they're just certain habits there's a certain culture that a family develops for good or for bad and children tend to grow up and they either do those exact same things and either consciously or subconsciously or they really react and rebel against them entirely and you know the hope is that if the thing has been negative it, then there's the reaction and rebellion and if it's positive then it's the thing that they're going to keep for parents who may be new in the faith or they're looking uh, back and maybe they came to Christ when their children were already uh, a little bit older so their their kids n know that like like have there's there's these traumas or these things in life where a parent would look back on and say I wish I hadn't modeled that for my kid but I did what would you say to them to yeah. say let's try to redeem that for my kids yeah, that's good. Well, all of us are going to have um, tons of times we're going to point back to and say, man, we didn't do this perfectly. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities as parents to repent and to say, man, we, we could have done that better. We should have done that better. And our kids aren't going to just learn from our mistakes in the sense of, of what not to do, but they're going to learn how to make mistakes and keep going and, and keep trying. And one of, the, one of the greatest mistakes a parent could make is the mistake of not trying at all because they're afraid of making a mistake. I mean, to, to resign ourselves or to quit or to give up uh, because we may not do it perfectly is to right away not do it perfectly. And so that's why we call parents to, to put in your best effort, to be diligent. But understand, if you're a brand new Christian and you're brand new to this, uh, you do not have to be uh, further than one step ahead of your kids in order to tell them what the Lord is doing or to invite your kids into what you are trying to learn from the Lord yourself, that we might read the scriptures uh, together and say, this is what I'm reading today. Let's try to understand it together. Ask some very simple questions about if this is true, what does it change for my life? And, and then invite your church or your community into being a part of that maturing process with you as well. But being a brand new Christian is actually a great opportunity to say, we're going to restart some new rhythms in our family and, and do something different than we did before. And at the same time, understand that it's not easy to be a kid either. And kids are going to resist and, and kids are going to uh, misbehave. And that's going to be a part. We're not looking for the most perfect uh, floating through life. Holy spirit is just always uh, emotionally and physically present in a way like it's not going to be superlative all the time, but it is going to be an ordinary part of what we do as Christians to teach our kids everything the Lord has called us to and to try to demonstrate that to them. Like you said a second ago, Josh, our, our model makes such a big difference for kids. And as they've done research, they found that kids that are walking with the Lord in, um, in adulthood uh, have often have one of two things in common. And it wasn't uh, how much they attended a, a Christian event. It wasn't how often they went to church. It was, did they have a parent who modeled this for them following Christ? Or did they have a significant relationship with a different adult who's not their parent who modeled this for them? Which I think is such a great evidence to say what we're calling us to is, is the church providing additional adults uh, for those kids who either don't have this at home or, or coming alongside parents 
who are discipling their kids, and then to call parents to do what the Lord has called them to, to disciple their kids in everything the Lord calls us to do in following Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a matter of, as a parent, you you are going to disciple your child, subconsciously or not. How you live, what you do, what you say to them is going to leave an imprint in who they become. And yes. so the the issue becomes, are you going to be um, are, are you going to disciple purposefully? Knowing, knowing that what yeah. you do matters, are you going to make sure that you disciple purposefully? And are you going to um, do this in a way that acknowledges your own shortcomings um, while also seeking to to continue to grow your own relationship with Christ? Yeah. And there's a great uh, need for intentionality, and that's part of the reason we wrote the book is to help parents uh, have a plan. If you don't have a plan and you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, you're just you're just hoping something good's going to happen. But having a plan takes a lot of the anxiety out of it to go, okay, I know how we're going to talk about this, what we're doing here, when we're gathering as a family, uh, what our long-term goals are for our kids. And at the same time, we're not saying like forsake each person for the, for the sake of a plan. I think plans change as people grow and each kid is different. And so acknowledging that each family is different. And so we don't have to look just like the family next door and each kid doesn't have to look just like the kids sitting next to them, but it's helping find a plan because intentionality is going to take you from kind of the resigning ourselves to say, well, my example is enough uh, to say, no, what the Lord's called me to is not just say, Hey, let kids watch you, but it's be also in relationship with them and then call them into something intentional. As you uh, like Deuteronomy six says, as you talk about this, when you get up, as you go to bed, as you walk along the way. And so how do you, how are you going to talk about these things of the Lord? And, and, and what are we going to say is part of the plan. It's part of the reason we wrote the book the way we did is to try to help people when they're finished with the book, have a practical idea of what it's going to look like to spiritually lead their family. Mm-hmm. So it's such a hard thing to get started. Cause you just feel like, where do I, you know, where do I even go? And the, the great thing that this book does is that it, it divides, it's in the subtitle, it divides things down into three different components and obviously there's more to that, but these are the three major things that you talk about is time, moments, and milestones. So let's just start with time and how do we use, I guess, quality time, quantity time in discipling our kids? Yeah, time is the idea of having uh, set aside intentional time where this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about or live out what the gospel calls us to. So in the book, uh, Matt Chandler, my co-author, his, his kids are teenagers. So for him, it looks like, man, a weekly family devotion where they're all together. But it looks like a lot him taking his son out for breakfast on a regular basis and reading a proverb together and talking about uh, sin and girls and sports. And for his wife, she takes out their daughters one-on-one and has spiritual conversations with them. For me with younger kids, it looks like as we, as we put our kids to bed every night, they know because this is ordinary and normal for us. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray and we're going to sing together or before meals, we're going to pray together at birthdays. We're going to pray over the person whose birthday it is. Like these are, ordinary parts of our rhythm. And these are family discipleship times because they're appointed for that purpose. And so in the book, we talk about 
using times that your family is already getting together on a regular basis, if it's a meal or if it's a commute or if it's bedtime or if it's breakfast or whatever it is that your family is already doing together, and how do you leverage those moments to teach something about the Lord or to incorporate some appointed times into your schedule to go serve together or uh, go to worship together. So for a lot of families, Sunday mornings is a time when we've set aside to say, this is how family's going to go do this, to honor the Lord together. We're going to go to worship together at the same church. And, and maybe it's another way of thinking about how do we, on our way home from church, talk about what we learned and what the Lord is doing. And, uh, but we have a lot of these things going on. We just haven't put them together as part of an overall plan, or we haven't le- leveraged them for the, the maximum amount of, of, uh, of what we want, which is, uh, a spiritual conversation or a, a growth opportunity for our kids. So time is just that intentional, set aside, appointed time for a family to talk about and act out the things of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And it may be a thing where, I think especially for younger kids, I'm thinking of younger kids because my kids are, are very young, You know, they're not going to grasp, they're not going to be able to developmentally grasp everything that, you are doing uh, you know they, they may yeah. enjoy the songs but you know they're still learning how to talk so that, you know they're not understanding everything but it mm-hmm. it sets this foundation of this is what we do and um, it begins that tradition to where it feels comfortable and familiar to them so that they grow into understanding this so they're like and i think that's it ends up being true for all ages that it shouldn't be just an expectation of like this is what we're doing okay my child immediately understands it uh it is a process of growth for them yeah and and it's like that for anybody most of the kids we're talking about discipling are not believers yet like you know they're not following the lord themselves they don't have their own prayer life or their own scripture reading life and so part of it is modeling that but part of it is making it a normal part of their upbringing that this is what our family does Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So you move into then the next the next topic is moments. How do how do moments differ from time? Because it seems like those are pretty interchangeable terms. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think they're it's a very different mindset. Uh, time is uh, we're going to put it on the calendar. This is when it's going to happen, or this is the regular uh, intervals that we're going to be um, discussing these things or doing these things together. Moments are less predictable, more sporadic. Um, not that you're not prepared for them, but it's more like what's going to happen throughout the day and how do we leverage just what comes our way in order to talk about the gospel. So for my kids, it might be um, a discipline moment. Maybe one of them uh, hit the other one. And now we're going to talk about uh, what just happened. And that's an opportunity for me to teach them about grace. It's an opportunity for me to teach about mercy. It's an opportunity for me to teach about justice and it's an opportunity for you, me to use the scripture to teach them. Now, I didn't know when they were going to hit each other, but I probably knew that my kids were eventually going to get in a fight again. So moments is a way of saying, how are you going to leverage the everyday opportunities that happen in, in the course of life to talk about the things of the gospel and to disciple your children? And so these things happen all the time. It might be us sitting on the patio and, and seeing nature and seeing a bird fly by and talking about creation and the Lord's good design, or it might be an opportunity uh, – uh, if one of my kids gets a gift and the other one does not, and it seems like a, a moment of unfairness or inequity, it's a moment to talk about, you know, what to expect out of life. And 
for us, one, one of the things we talk about in the book is having a shared uh, language, uh, having scriptures that we rely on on a regular basis to parents or or having uh, some things that we say uh, if, if you're married, that you and your spouse are on the same page with how will we talk about this when it happens with our kids. So uh, an example might be um, this week as I was talking with my kids and doing our family discipleship time, we talked about uh, Zacchaeus, or we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and several of these conversations led to us discussing how uh, kids in the Griffin family are only going to follow the crowd if the crowd is following Jesus, and if the crowd is not following Jesus, then we're going to boldly stand up and follow Jesus instead of the crowd, and that, that was a family discipleship time. Now, in moments, it might be something more like when I see something in my kids where it demonstrates a desire to conform to a pattern of this world that I do not desire. And I might lean on Romans 12 there, or I might lean on the stories we've already talked about to remind them, hey, do Griffins follow the crowd? And my kids say, only if the crowd is following Jesus. And we talk about what that means. It's, it's leveraging that opportunity in everyday life. Or it might be us watching a show together or watching a sport together where we see somebody demonstrate that same kind of boldness or bravery to not Follow the crowd if the crowd is wrong, and again, we'll point it out and take uh, the opportunity to leverage a family discipleship moment that's more sporadic or nomadic. We don't really know when it's going to happen or where it's going to happen, but we're no less prepared and eager and observant trying to find an opportunity to disciple our kids as it comes our way. Mm-hmm. And then the last of those is milestones, and I think that's more of a a sense of like a big moment or a big happening that you're kind of prepared for. So talk about that. Yeah. Milestones are a little bit like a significant version of both. Some of them Mm -hmm. you're going to know are coming. You're planning around something like a high school graduation or even kindergarten graduation, some, some point where the Lord has done something significant or there's some significant maturing going on in the life of a family or child. And at the same time, some of them you don't predict, like you may not know uh, when the death of a loved one happens. And yet when the, when a loved one passes away, it's a milestone event in the life of a child, a chance to point to God's faithfulness, even in the midst of what has been difficult. And so milestones aren't always celebratory. Sometimes they're just commemorative. Sometimes it's remembering these things, but it often involves some kind of physical reminder or some kind of ritual in the book, we talk about how in Matt's family, Chandler's family, when his kids turn 13, they have a rite of passage uh, birthday party where they talk about entering into adulthood. In my family, I talk about how since the time my ba- uh, my kids were babies, I've worked through a, a journal Bible for each of them in the hopes that one day in a spiritual milestone event, I would hand them this heirloom, this, this thing full of notes from their dad with insights and prayers for them. And these are mild, this is part of our milestone plan in the Griffin family. That's part of Chandler's milestone plan. But we offer a lot of ideas around that. But what you're really looking for is what is significant or what can I make into something significant and memorable in the life of my child when it comes to what the Lord is doing in and around them so that we might take note of it. I feel like the family I grew up in was not always great at sitting down and telling stories about our past and telling stories about what the Lord had done and and I want to be really good at that, that when our family gathers together, we point back to certain uh, events in our family's history to say, remember what the Lord did there. Remember how good the Lord has been to us in that moment, either of, of significant joy or significant sadness. 
and how do we leverage those opportunities to to remind our kids of the Lord and what He is doing in and through them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the possible, I guess, downfalls that I can see families kind of getting into with this system is is really just sort of making it legalistic. Like, okay, we've developed the plan. But, you know, the family sits down one day and they develop the plan, and then this is what they do um, without mm-hmm. any real understanding of the individual child involved or, you know, circumstances change or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but it, can, it, it, can, it could get to a point where it seems very, very legalistic. How, how do we avoid falling into that trap? Yeah, I think similar to the way we would parent. I think it is easy to try to manipulate our family to be more like the plans we have than to try to create a plan that fits the family we have. And I, I think that is an easy thing to slip into, especially for people that are more you know, type A, really want a version of their kids that maybe the Lord didn't even give them. And uh, similar, we can parent that way. We can try to manipulate, uh, use the scripture to try to get the kind of kids we want instead of the kids that we've been given. And and it is, uh, it is a danger. It is a, a fundamental legalistic idea of uh, I want the people to fit my plans instead of my plans to fit these people. But as similar, we might see in our kids a desire to create like a well-behaved child versus a, a discipled child. And in the book, we talk about the differences that man, behavior, man, even the Pharisees were really well-behaved people, but their hearts were far from the Lord. And, and Christ railed against that idea that if you fulfill all the rituals and you do all the things right, it doesn't matter if your heart is close to the Lord. That's the opposite of what Christ was asking for. And so what we want with our kids is, is kids whose hearts are close to the Lord, and uh, that will affect their behavior. And behavior is really important. Plans are really important, but we try to do things that suit um, the heart and aim for the heart rather than just behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> this is this is sort of a tangential question, and I think that we can probably probably close the conversation here. Um, this this is qu- more of a question for all of my colleagues that are in youth ministry. Um, there has been a push in youth ministry to really be the center of discipleship or entertainment. Uh, it is the place that parents take their kids to have Jesus, basically. Um, how do, a family discipleship is working, how does the role of the youth pastor change? Yeah, well, I, I hope a, a youth pastor understands that their role, and I was in youth ministry for a long time, and I love student ministry, but it's really important for every student minister to understand that their role is not to be the sole spiritual authority in a kid's life, nor to be one who undermines the spiritual authority in their life. And that can be really easy to do. Uh, we want to come alongside a parent and work together with a parent. That's why it's important for parents to understand family discipleship. And uh, hopefully uh, a youth worker is one who can equip them to do that well. But also to understand that our role is to partner particularly with kids who are spiritually orphaned, kids whose parents do not know the Lord, or with uh, single parents who maybe are lacking a mom or a dad in a situation and, and come alongside those families to see what what more could we do to help or to serve in those situations? But a student minister's job is very, very important. But uh, one of the most important aspects of them is their integrity, uh, that they would be a good example, a good model. 
And part of that integrity is understanding the role of parents. And so modeling for them that our parents can be um, not only powerful, but really, really good uh, models for these kids in ways that the student minister should not be threatened by, mm-hmm. but rather advocating for. So it's, it's essential that student ministry understands family discipleship and its primary role in the spiritual development of a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's good. Because just in my in, in my experience, then it, it's kind of become, it, it, well, and, I, and usually if, if you're a student pastor or a youth pastor, uh, you're not at the top of the totem pole in the in church leadership, so you're kind of like set into this is the system I've been told to to enact uh, to work within. Um, but I, a lot of churches have kind of fallen into that that setup of professional teaching or you know or entertainment, whichever you know, and it kind of goes both ways, and it it requires a church-wide view to try to to try to change that to say you know the 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 family was created before the church was and so the primary place for discipleship is to be the family and the church is supposed to help facilitate that uh is a culture change that i think a lot of our churches have to start making so uh, in your church, uh, in Matt Chandler's church, what things do you do specifically to try to promote family discipleship? Well, the, having the unified language of time, moments, and milestones is really helpful. Mm-hmm. We use it actually every, every week when we preach a sermon. We put out home group questions and family discipleship ideas based on what we're preaching through. We talk about it from the stage, the priority that parents play. We talk about it, especially in our next-gen ministries about what uh, the role is of a parent and what the role is of a church and try to distinguish those things. And you're right. If, if there's buy-in from the lead pastor, it makes a big difference. And so one of the things that's easier for me or for Matt is that obviously we have buy-in to this idea, but mm-hmm. uh, having a, a student minister have a voice in a lead room is important, but I think every pastor hopefully can understand if they take a look at this. And we wrote an appendix uh, to this point is that the more home-centered the ministry is uh, that uh, the bigger allies they will find in trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish in discipleship in the community and in and in their church. And so, uh, being a home-centered, family-centered um, staff and church from the top to bottom is good for everybody because it's a biblical call. And so, I, I understand that like uh, some children's ministers or, or youth ministers don't have that that level of voice and authority. And that is a difficult situation, but however they can, wherever they can, finding ways to advocate for what is biblical, putting the priority and not the sole responsibility, but the priority on parents' uh, position of authority in a kid's life is really important. Mm-hmm. I think I think we've seen, this is something that I just thought of, I, I think we've really seen the importance of needing family ministry, needing family discipleship over these past you know six months. Um, yeah. When when we haven't had the opportunity to gather in person as much or at all, or um, you know, we have a virtual church experience, but it, it it's like all all the structures that we had built uh, outside of the family suddenly no nope, yeah. we don't have those anymore, and yeah, and so it just becomes it, it really I think I think a blessing from from this pandemic has been. God pointing out 
how needed and necessary the family is. Absolutely right. I think this is a great opportunity right now to establish new rhythms, knowing that a lot of uh, extracurriculars and a lot of even schools are changed right now. And so having the family take the opportunity to, to sit down and say, what should our spiritual leadership look like at a time where we get to establish the rhythms we want is really important. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I, as a, as a youth pastor, I, you know, preached and taught and tried to emphasize um, and then now as a parent for the past couple of years, been figuring out how I'm going to enact that actually in my own life, in my own family, with my own kids. So thank you for helping with the blueprint um, for that, because just just having something to say, OK, this is where I can get started is, is so helpful. I found it helpful and I'm sure that other people will as well. Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks for the time. <laughs>